Welcome to Outbeat Collage Down in the Arts. I'm Gary Carnavelli here in the KRCB studios with Mary Moore Campagna. We have an exciting show in store for you tonight. First, we'll have a conversation with PJ Ravel, who is the director of the insightful new documentary, Who We Become. Later, we'll chat with Shad Reinstein about her upcoming presentation at the Guerneville Library about the Russian River's queer history. Finally, we'll speak with songwriter, composer, and Carol Mitchell about her work and her upcoming immersive concert experience, I'll Show You the Night, happening January 27th in Santa Rosa. Right now, it's Greg Moralia with Outbeat Radio News. This is Greg Morelli with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of January 21st, 2024. Just days after Pope Francis made headlines approving the blessing of same-sex unions, a priest in Poland has been arrested after a gay sex scandal rocked the Catholic Church there. In September 2023, Father Thomas Zmarzli of the Church of the Blessed Virgin Mary of the Angels in southwestern Poland was suspended and his bishop resigned in the aftermath of a drug-fueled sex party that the priest allegedly organized at his home with a sex worker and a third unidentified individual. The priest remains in pretrial detention after his arrest and could face up to 10 years in prison for, quote, failing to provide assistance to the person whose life is at risk and violating another person's sexual freedom, as well as for drug-related offenses. The diocese in the town has been engulfed in scandal since news of the sex party broke this last fall. According to Polish press, a sex worker hired by the priest for the sex party in play collapsed after consuming erectile dysfunction pills. A third man called emergency services, but when paramedics arrived, they were denied entry. EMTs were able to attend to the collapsed sex worker only after police arrived at the scene. Prosecutors denied that the overdose victim was a male sex worker, while local media is reporting that he was. The same Polish diocese has a history of scandal involving clergy and its parishes. In 2010, the acting rector of a seminary was reportedly involved in a fight at a gay club in the area, initiating an investigation into activities by seminarians by the Vatican and resulting in the dissolution of the institution. And just months before this priest threw his sex party, the corpse of a 26-year-old deacon was discovered with injuries suggesting homicide. Prosecutors determined that he was killed by a 40-year-old priest in the diocese who then killed himself. And here in the U.S., Republican lawmakers in West Virginia filed a bill that bans gender-affirming care for young transgender adults and requires state-licensed mental health professionals to practice conversion therapy on transgender people. Senate Bill 194, filed by Republican State Senator Mike Aziger, Laura Chapman, and Chandler Swope, is one of nine anti-transgender bills filed in the state so far just this year. It would require, quote, any mental health care professional, counselor, or interstate teletherapy service to stop exasperating gender dysphoria for clients under 21 years old by, quote, continuing such condition, delusion, or disorder with no intent of cure or cure-pursuing recovery, end quote. This is what everybody knows to be conversion therapy. The bill also claims that being transgender is a, quote, sexual deviation and compares it to pedophilia. And here in California, State Attorney General Bob Bonta issued a legal alert addressed to all California counties, school districts, and charter school boards, as well as superintendents, 
warning them against forced gender identity disclosure policies detrimental to the privacy, safety, and well-being of transgender and gender nonconforming students. The move comes as Bonta's Department of Justice is suing the Chino Valley Unified School District over its forced outing policy. A San Bernardino County Superior Court judge last October granted a preliminary injunction against two major portions of the school district's policy. According to the Bay Area Reporter, several school districts around the state have adopted similar policies, which require that staff out students to their parents without their consent for identifying as transgender or gender nonconforming, as well as for accessing sex-segregated programs and activities that align with their gender. A news release from the Attorney General's office noted that, quote, such policies also require notification if a student requests to use facilities or participates in a program that does not align with their sex on official records, end quote. In the alert, Bonta reminded all school boards that these forced gender identity disclosure policies violate the California Constitution and state laws safeguarding against student civil rights. Bonta said, quote, unconstitutional school policies that forcibly out and endanger the psychological and emotional well-being of transgender and gender nonconforming students have no place in our classrooms. Today's alert serves as a reminder to all school officials of their duty to ensure a safe and inclusive learning environment, particularly for our most vulnerable student populations susceptible to violence and harassment. At the California Department of Justice, we will continue safeguarding the civil rights of all students, end quote. For a calendar of LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Let's welcome to the show P.G. Raval, who is the director of a fantastic new documentary called Who We Become. Happy 2024, P.J., and welcome to Outbeat Collage. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm quite familiar with your work, and um, and I, I don't think we've I've, we've chatted before. But um, for um, those of uh, who aren't familiar with your um, work and your background, give us give give us some of that information. Sure. Yeah. So I've been making documentaries for a minute, <laughs> and I've made I think Who We Become is my fourth uh, feature documentary. I've made um, some before. Um, uh, some prior ones are the first. The first feature documentary I ever made was called Trinidad, uh, that I co-directed with uh, Jay Hodges, a very good friend of mine, um, and it follows three uh, trans women in a small town in Colorado, um, uh, and very much uh, a town that was once known as the quote-unquote sex change capital of the world. Um, I made another film called uh, Before You Know It which follows uh, three gay senior men um, kind of in their golden years and all the uh, adventures that they embark upon um, during that time period. Um, yeah, and then, and then a film after that I made was uh, Call Her Gunda, which is about a trans woman in the Philippines who was uh, brutally murdered by a U.S. Marine. And it's also a look into um, U.S. imperialism in the Philippines. Um, and then I've now made Who We Become, which is also following <laughs> three characters, um, specifically three Filipino-American uh, women in Texas during the time of COVID. And I've been calling it a little bit of a coming-of-age documentary, but it very much um, follows these individuals as they're kind of coming into their own during these very unprecedented and turbulent times, as you can imagine. Um, so what prompted you to make this insightful documentary? 
Well, for a while I had been wanting to make a film that was going to look at um, specifically this younger Filipino-American generation having what I would describe as challenging conversations um, with close to loved ones. And it was something that I think I had seen happening that I noticed in the Filipino-American community. And I thought it would be a great project to kind of go into some of these stories. And as I started moving forward on the project, uh, the pandemic hit and started to emerge. And um, like many people who pivoted, um, the project also kind of pivoted. Um, and it became very clear to me that it was even more um, urgent of a time period now to kind of capture some of these stories. I, I, I really love it how independent filmmakers um, specifically, or maybe especially documentarians, really tackle life during COVID. What happened to us as a society, as a world, um, during those three horrible um, years um, you know, Hollywood could kind of ignore it and kind of go on with their fantasy game, but it, 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 it's so, it's so fascinating to me, um, that filmmakers like you, um, decided to be like, okay, this is the world we're living in. Let's, let's get it on film. Let's, let's show it to folks. Absolutely. And I think that's something that I've always really loved about the field of documentary filmmaking is you see these filmmakers um, with whatever's happening, understanding that now is the time to capture this story and really present it to the world. Um, and if anything, you know, COVID was a moment where when things were shutting down, filmmakers such as myself, we were ramping up because we understood the importance of the moment. And um, and if anything, all of our training making documentaries, it's, it's taught us how to be um, nimble right and how to kind of navigate unpredictability and and figure out ways to 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 capture nice nice so where did you find these three women and and talk about them individually yeah so lauren who's the first story um uh, you know who we first meet um i knew because lauren lives in austin um, and she was just about to graduate from uh, the University of Texas at Austin. Um, and she was telling me that she was going to be going uh, back home to experience her graduation over Zoom. Um, and all the feelings uh, you know, associated with that and what it meant to be kind of like a young person who is graduating um, and supposedly entering you know, the world in adulthood in a time where things were actively shutting down and there was so much unpredictability. So so for me, it became a really um, uh, important moment to really capture um, and an, an important weekend to see kind of, you know, what she was going to experience. And of course, she ends up experiencing um, something that is, uh, you know, a really kind of um, nurturing kind of uh, experience and, and a moment that she really gets to bond with her family, maybe in a way that she wouldn't have um, under different circumstances, but certainly over that weekend. Um, and then the second person we follow is Monica, who um, after uh, the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, um, Monica is inspired to go to a peaceful protest of the Black Lives Matter movement and her parents, um, uh, challenge her and tell her that perhaps it'd be better if she stays home instead. And of course, she makes up her own decision and kind of sets on her own journey 
of um, getting involved with the Black Lives Matter movement and really understanding that the way that um, she's seeing the world is maybe different from her parents and trying to figure out how to navigate that space. Um, and Monica, I also knew uh, previously. So when I started making this film, I did reach out to a couple people kind of privately and said, hey, I'm looking for you know some Filipino Americans who might be interested in this project. And both Lauren and Monica immediately um, you know, responded and said, yes, they'd love to, to be involved, which is how they each kind of, uh, you know, started participating in this project. Um, and then the third person that we follow is Jenna Maravilla. And Jenna is um, in Houston, Texas, and someone who had already started a career as a nurse um, and was helping people in the medical profession that way. Um, and then at some point she came to the realization that her life calling was really going to be a community organizer and as an artist. So she quit uh, being a nurse, um, didn't look back. And then of course, when the pandemic hit, um, like many of us started self-reflecting and questioning where she was in life and wondering if she had made the right choices and if this was something that she was actually doing to help people. Um, I did not know Jenna beforehand, but um, I was introduced to her through um, the producer of the film, Cecilia Mejia. And um, and if anyone gets a chance to watch the film, Jenna is just an incredible poet, um, a real, you know, all three of them are real, you know, have a real on-screen presence, a real kind of, you know, warmth and spirit to them all. And, and um, I was just so inspired to see kind of what Jenna was doing um, and the conversations she was starting to have with her family as well. Nice, nice. It, it seems that the three of them became sort of co-directors. Um, how much input did they have during during the shoot? Yeah, so for this project, I thought it would be really fun to try something, what I'm calling a little bit more collaborative storytelling, um, which, and the situation, of course, with COVID unfolding and, you know, um, you know, with it emerging and social distancing and lockdowns happening, um, I thought, what a great opportunity to try also some different forms of storytelling. So in this kind of collaborative process, I asked each of them to self-document a lot of their experience. Um, and we started off with, you know, pretty extensive conversations back and forth, um, which is something I usually do in documentary filmmaking already, just to kind of get to know someone and what's going on in their lives and give them an opportunity to, you know, ask me questions and understand where I'm coming from and what my interests might be in terms of, you know, following certain things. Um, and then I kind of created almost like assignment sheets where I, you know, created a list of things saying, hey, think about these things or this, you know, these could be some ways to capture something like this, for instance. And um, and then maybe just some practical things like, oh, if you're going to use your cell phone, maybe use it this way. Maybe, you know, on Zoom, use this setting to record, things like that. Um, and then just sharing sharing what you, you know, what you do and come back with. Um, and then giving me an opportunity to, to also watch it and then speak with you more and just kind of see where things are going. So it really was a collaborative and fun kind of process, one that I had not really done before. Mm. So... Um, but part of that kind of pivot that we were talking about is also just this idea of like, uh, 
you know, it also opens the door for new experiences, mm-hmm. right? New new ways of storytelling, new forms of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the these younger generations, I sound like an old man, I kind of am an old man, but you know, the XYZ, you know, um, Jenners, they're, they are sort of documentarians, you know what I mean? They've really come, they've really um, come of age during a time where YouTube, you know, everyone's on YouTube, everyone has a YouTube channel, everyone's, uh, you know, taking videos of themselves and their friends, curating them, some even editing them, you know, adding all sorts of uh, fun, fun special effects. Um, so uh, th- they're also comfortable on film. Were, were, were all the members of their family that comfortable? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, to, you know, to your point, I agree. I, you know, I've been saying because because I recognize too, it's like, what is young anymore? I say younger than me. <laughs> right, right. Generation <laughs> is. Um, I agree. They're they're very comfortable. Uh, you know, they've grown up. A lot of them have grown up with social media, with cameras, you know, with cell phones that that can record. And so, um, the idea of filming yourself or sharing you know, a photo of yourself or something, how you feel, you know, with the rest of the world on social media, not a big deal, you know, for them. Or maybe it's something that's, you know, much more comfortable. And I think in a certain way, it also extends to maybe their family, right? And maybe their parents are also, Mm. uh, you know, for them, it's a very everyday kind of thing, seeing, you know, one of their kids, you know, take a photo of themselves, post it, film it, you know, um, do I think uh, them pulling out their cell phone to film something was new and unusual for the family? Probably not, right? Um, but for the fact that it's for a documentary, maybe, right? Like maybe that might be the new thing. And so that is something that that I thought about was, you know, we had these conversations where I said, well, you know, we need to make sure everyone consents to it, right? That's something that we deal with in in. Um, documentaries is honoring this idea of consent so uh get a sense of if your family would be open to it and if they're not then that's okay because there's friends there's colleagues there's other ways to do this um and each of them kind of you know set out and came back and said yeah i told them what i was doing and no one seemed to have any problems and you know um i'm just gonna keep filming and, and let's see where it goes you know um so I think also, uh, you know, in the process of making the film, I also said, you know, as I do with many of the films, I'm not sure what's going to happen. This is kind of a little bit of an adventure. We'll see. And so um, it's been nice to also meet all the family members and and hearing some of them say like, yeah, I wasn't even sure what was going to happen with this. But then when I saw the final thing, like, oh, my God, I didn't realize it was, you know, going to be two other stories or how it was going to together all, you know, do this. Um, and, and fun fact, the, the three of them had never met before, mm. right? Because I, I knew them and they're each kind of following their own stories, but mm. they only met when the film was actually finished and we watched it all together and, you know, they had a chance to meet each other before, you know, world premiere. Oh, wow. So, um, that was kind of exciting. That's yeah. very exciting. Okay. I, I don't know if you should go hungry or not hungry to the film. Cause there's lots of food prep, lots of cooking, <laughs> lots of wonderful <laughs> Filipino dishes. Be, I'm like, Oh gosh, I'm not really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know what, that also was kind of one of the inspirations because 
for me, that's a very kind of strong memory I have is I think of like being in the kitchen and watching my mother or even my father or any of my, um, you know, aunts, uncles cooking and just that kind of the conversations that come from there, conversations over eating, you know, <laughs> eating really is a time that kind of makes everyone sit down together right. and usually just, you know, focus and really opens up um you know, uh, opportunities to just kind of, you know, hear from one another. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, mom cooking, dad barbecuing, just, just so fun. The, the late great director, Paul Mazursky always, always included <clears throat> people eating. Cause he's like, you know, people eat Hollywood doesn't like to show that, but you know, people, I, I like, he likes showing people, you know, in their element, what, what they do. And you're right in, in, in families like yours, um, with, with your background, I should say. <clears throat> Food's very important, and coming together as a family to enjoy food is very important. I, I love Grandma showing the fruit <laughs> in, in, in one of the segments. That, that was lovely. <clears throat> so um, I think you've wonderfully captured this really turbulent year, you know, Plus, that included, you know, this onslaught of anti-Asian attacks and sentiment in this country with that creep, with the orange hair. And, you know, um, and, 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 you know, you've got two people who really sort of become activists, who really start looking at their world in, in, um, th- through a different lens. Um, do you see who we become as a call to arms? Well, I see as an opportunity for everyone to understand um, just what are the experiences some people go through, right? Mm-hmm. And how and how it affects us, right? Um, and then also just kind of your place in it, right? Right. Um, and, and, and how we are, you know, so much of the themes are about like how we're all connected and we're all kind of experienced something, but it takes um, maybe understanding it through someone else's experience to truly understand how uh, the situations affecting everyone. So very much in the film, you know, Monica is very outspoken about how she's going to vote, right? And for her, the reasons why she would hope that others would vote, you know, the same way that she does, right? And I think that's really um, an important thing. And and I think, um, you know, for some of us, we think about these ideas of like, you know, you know, quote unquote, social issues, but it's another thing when you just see someone living through something, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think the idea of like, oh, there's a threat of the rise of anti-Asian violence, for instance. But then you actually see how people are affected just reading about it, just knowing mm-hmm. that it's out there already affects you, right? Um and I think that's important for, you know, people to understand. Mm-hmm. So, um, so is it a call to arms? I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call it a call to arms, but it's definitely, I'm hoping it will inspire people and it will change people if they don't already understand how they're connected, um, in this larger, um, system, if you will, then, then hopefully they'll recognize that, yeah, they, through their decisions and their actions, it will have real effects and consequences on people. Mm, mm. Um, So talk, talk about life in, in, in Texas um, under, you know, 
your governor who's anti-LGBTQ, um, uh, you know, awful, awful when it comes to uh, immigrant rights. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's hard for me to imagine. I lived in Texas for a while. Um, I, I, I guess it was, I mean, I, I always look at and think when I, because I worked on Ann Richards campaign, I was like, immigration wasn't even an issue in the 80s. We weren't even talking about it. We, you know, I, I, coming from Chicago, I never live in a, I lived in a place that was, that was so diverse, you know, um, huge, huge, of course, Latino populations, as well as various Asian populations, um, uh, Vietnamese, there were tons, there were tons of Iranians I knew, I, you know, it was, it was this interesting sort of melting pot. I mean, how did, how did Texas get sort of so derailed as, you know, one of the largest, the three largest states in the nation, you know, the other I won't even mention and here in California, you, you know, we're, we're sort of managing, you know, um, so talk about, talk about, you know, being, being an artist, being an activist in, in Texas, what that's like right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot to take in, right. Everything that you mentioned, I mean, just to, just to think about it. Right. Um, I think some people don't realize, but for instance, you know, uh, the fastest, largest minority group in Texas right now that's growing is Asian, hmm. right? Asian, Asian American. Who knew? Uh, Texas also has the second largest transgender population in all of the United States, right? Um, it is such a big state, right? Um, for me, when I think historically of Texas, I sometimes think almost like last stop Texas, right? Like when we even think about certain uh, policies, Supreme Court cases, a lot of them were challenged in Texas. They went to the Supreme Court and then suddenly interracial marriage, for instance, is yeah. legal, Right. Because of like the loving case, for instance, right. Texas. Right. Um, so and, and every, you know, kind of hot button, you know, news headline topic that you can think of, whether that be immigration, abortion rights, education, book banning. I mean, all of these things like go on and on and on are definitely here in Texas. Right. And yes, it's very it can be very hard to um acknowledge that sometimes that this is, you know, the environment that I'm living in. But what I will say is I also recognize that within my time period, right, I started making films before same-sex marriage was legal, right? And then it was legal. Um, and I saw that change. But I also was starting to make films when abortion rights were um, upheld. And now I'm making films in a time period where it's not, mm -hmm. right? Um, Sad to say, uh, you know, it's it's insane how things can change so quickly. Um, and as much as I'm thinking like, oh, it's only here in Texas, I think we know it's not. It's all across the United States. Um, and certain states are very visible for certain policies and, and certain things and might be the reason why certain things are being challenged. Um, but one thing I will say is that I also recognize me just walking down the street, me just living here, me just being visible as a queer person of color in a state like Texas is already contributing to a certain amount of change, right? Um, 
you know, for me to make these films and share them with the world, I'm not just making them for, you know, Filipino Americans to watch. It's for everyone to watch and understand that part of someone's experience growing up in the United States is also meaning you could be a queer Filipino person living in Texas. And what does that look like? Right. Um, how do you how do you react to, you know, what are the conditions you live under? Uh, what are the circumstances you make certain decisions by? And I think that's a way to also, um, you know, use storytelling and use someone's experience as a way to contribute, hopefully, to some kind of um, understanding. Right. And and uh, inspire some kind of um you know, social change. And I think uh, me living in Texas is is part of that too, right? Um, so it's not even a matter of like, um, you know, do I want to abandon it? Do I want to go elsewhere? Do I want to do these other things? I think um, these things will not change for me no matter where I go. Yeah. The scenery might change, but uh, will someone always be, someone's rights always be uh, withheld or act? You know, someone trying mm-hmm. to actively withhold their rights. Yes, that is something right. that's going to happen. Um, and so for me right now, there's a little bit of a of a feeling like, well, if this is where, you know, if I truly want things to change, this is where I need to start changing them. Yes, yes. You know, some of the most brutal, horrendous anti-Asian attacks have happened here in the Bay Area. So, you know, even mm-hmm. here in blue, blue California, we we still struggle. We still struggle uh, to make sure everyone is seen and heard and, and under, understood. Um, so, I will say, you know, just really quick, I actually grew up in central California. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? I in a, yeah. I grew up in a small town called Clovis. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a very challenging experience growing up as a queer person of color there, right? Because it was, at least in the time that I lived there, it was very conservative, mm-hmm. very white, you know? Um, still is. <laughs> and it was, yeah, and it still is, right? And that made for a very isolating experience. So it's interesting, right? Because I, I do know, especially coming from California and having lived in Southern mm-hmm. California and right. growing up in Central, there's this idea that California is this, like, liberal oasis and don't get me wrong there's a large portion of california that is right, but right. there's also a portion that's not you know and, and the same and, is said, could be said for texas you know all of yeah, my friends are exactly. progressives and liberals who who live in dallas and and around texas so um it, it, it's um at your peril that you just consider one state just you know you could describe in a couple of words not true not true these huge states are really really diverse um, you know, you, you've, you've got a very sort of activist, um, conservative governor um, that seems to be stronger than than they used to be. They used to always say the governor in Texas was was rather weak. Um, I don't know <laughs> if that's the case. Anymore. Well, I think, yeah, I think after you have a couple of presidents that come from Texas, I think there's something. Sure, <laughs> sure. Happening yeah, right yeah. In terms of the well, New York, Texas. You're so. talking about 20, 20 yeah. million people, 30 million people here in California. I think, you know, Texas is probably fairly close. Um, yeah. So uh, where, where can our listeners see the film? Yeah, so Who We Become is currently on Netflix, and I truly hope people will watch it there. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's available on Netflix. Nice. I was just on Netflix and didn't really see it. You, you, you really have to, you have to search. 
who we become excellent netflix very good congratulations congratulations yeah, thank you thanks so uh, much did you did you sort of make the festival circuit um before or did netflix scoop you up right away uh yeah so you know we started screening it um just this last year i mean it's been a really fast um turnaround we premiered it at um the los angeles asian pacific uh film festival in uh may of 2023 and then thankfully the film is distributed by array releasing which is the um company of the amazing ava duvernay who's an amazing filmmaker so yeah so um so it's part of array's uh collection of films that um are on netflix and so yeah so people can go to netflix and watch it there Perfect. Oh, you're making it really easy for people. So uh, what are you working on now? Uh, I have a couple of other films that I'm working on, both documentaries. Um, yeah, I also have a, I haven't done a scripted piece in a really long time. So I wrote a short screenplay that I'm hoping to do also. And yeah, there'll be definitely some things that uh, there'll be more from me soon. Very good. Very good. Um, do you have a website or a Twitter account or a whatever you want people to follow you on <laughs> absolutely <laughs> plug I'm away plug away <laughs> yes i'm all over social media at just uh pj revolve you know instagram facebook x like you know threads you name it uh <laughs> my website is um unravel.com u-n-r-a-v-a-l.com um and the film um yeah you can find the film on every social platform also at who we become doc um, but, uh, but also who we become doc, uh, com. Very good. Very good. PJ, again, thank you for making this important film. Thank you for joining us this evening and best of luck with who we become and all your future projects. Uh, please come back when you've got something new, um, you're releasing and best wishes for 2024. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Shad Reinstein wears many hats, always has in our community. Um, right now, I'm going to label her a an LGBTQI plus community historian or her historian or their historian. Um, welcome back to the show, Shad. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm so excited to be here with you, Gary. Great. It's it's kind of been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> I get a little bit anyway. Good. Good. <laughs> So you have a big presentation coming up at the Guerville Library, February 3rd. Um, Tell us all about that. So it's going to be called Rainbows by the River. And it's about preserving LGBTQIA plus history in West County. So it's just going to be talking about the Russian River, Guerville, and West County. It's not going to be talking all about Sonoma County. And it's going to be exciting. It's a com- It's everyone who's been doing work on LGBTQI history in Sonoma County is going to be there presenting together. So there's going to be a bunch of different things. It's going to be Saturday, February 3rd from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Guerneville Public Library. It's going to be recorded so that if you can't get to it, you will be able to see it through the public library. The Sonoma County Public Library has started an archival program 
called Queer in Here, and they are the ones that are present that are organizing this project. So it's going to be them talking about their new Queer in Here archives. If you have stuff in your closet or your attic that are about the something that you did in Sonoma County, you can give it to them and they will keep it for you and preserve it. Then we're going to be talking about all of the different projects that are going on there besides the here and queer. We're going to be talking about um, Legacy, which is Tina Dungan, Magi Fedorka, and Adam Richmond, all of whom have, have been involved in Sonoma County since 19, the early late 60s, early 70s for some of them. And they have been putting together their own archives and are also doing other people's archives. So T Tina does a class um, at the senior, through the Santa, Santa Rosa JC Le Learning Legacy, I think it's called their senior how their senior program. She has a pro, so she's talking about her class. With Tina and I did the timeline of Sonoma County, which we have several versions of. And then I will be, Adam will be talking about the history of violence and homophobia in Sonoma County. And then my partner Jody Lane and I will be doing about a half hour history of Guerneville and the Russian River. Then we will turn it open to the audience and people can reserve, can talk about their own experiences, their own history. It is being recorded so that you will, that whatever you say will go and be recorded permanently. Hi, so that's the short version from one to three, Friday, Saturday, February 3rd at the Guerneville Public Library. Great. You don't need to make reservations. You can just show up. You can just show up and, you know, there, hopefully we will have standing room only, but we'll see how many we have. Oh, I bet you will have a lot. I will be there and I'll bring friends. Great. <laughs> Great. And you have a long history at the river too, Gary. So you will definitely have stories to tell. Yes. Yes. So, um, so you, you've been doing research You're you're out and about, you're getting information. Um, Talk about maybe some of the earliest queerness you've been able to find at the Russian River. Well, the very earliest ones came from you, Gary. They were pictures of a group of gay men. And at, at that point, gay porn was considered muscle magazines with men doing muscle building, you know, poses. And someone sent you pictures of Oscar and his couple of his buddies doing muscle men poses at in Monte Rio at a nude at a nude beach. <laughs> they were they and it and they evidently came up there for years. Um the most the ones we know the most or the earliest stuff we know a lot of things about is in the late 1960s. There were evidently three gay or gay-friendly bars in on, in Guerneville. Um, one was 
the um, one was the most famous one was the Vukare, which was started in 1954 by Kay Carroll, who was a drag king and famous performer in San, in San Francisco. She had come out of the, the Bush Belt in New York City, moved to San Francisco. And then in 1954, she and her partner, Sally Crick, Sally or Cricket, moved to Guerneville, opened a bar. It was a New Orleans-style jazz club. It, uh, we talked to one person whose father used to be a musician there, and he used to go to the Vucare as a child with his father, and he said, Oh, it was where all of the flamboyant gays went to. People were in drag there all of the time. Mm. <laughs> so this is the late 1950s. <laughs> crazy, just crazy. And um, and then by 1965, the first Damron publication, which was, remember when we had old-fashioned books that listed all of the bars, <laughs> Queer bars in the United States and internationally. In 1956 was the first year it was published, and uh, Kay Carroll put the Bucare in this book as a gay bar. So it was so out there that she felt comfortable publishing it nationally and internationally as places that was that was a gay bar. In 19, about 1967 or 68, um, Ricky Stryker, who owned Maud's and Amelia's in the, in San Francisco, the big lesbian bars, um, bought into the Vucare and started running it. She used to bring all of her bartenders, or not all, but some of her bartenders from Maud's up to the Vucare to work there all summer. And lesbians from San Francisco would all come up there from 67 until 72 when it closed uh, because they could dance. It was illegal for people to dance together in San Francisco at that point. And so you could dance together at the Vucare. So it was a place to go party and be able to be who you are by it, you know, without any danger of being arrested. Uh, there's a quote that we found from the sheriff in Sonoma County, and he said, nah, I'm not going to bother the Vukare. They're not any problem. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just there. I'm not going to bother them. They can do whatever they want as long as they're doing it, with, you know, together, mm. not bothering us. So that, that was the primary gay bar in Guerneville. There was a second gay bar, which um, this man described, the man who I who was went there at the Vaucare as a child, described as, huh. oh, yeah, that was Aldo's. Aldo's was on, vaca on Vacation Beach on the south side of the Russian River in Gernwood. Um, and it was considered a family event. It was the places where, place where the high school the kids would come from school with on school buses to learn how to swim. 
it was the first place to have a jukebox, so all the teenagers would all go there. <laughs> the cabins and a beach and a restaurant family, it was a family place. But it was also the place where, quote, closeted gay people would go. Hmm. Now, I wonder if it's really closeted because in 1969, they were listed as a member of the Tavern Guild in San Francisco, and they would sell tickets there to the Tavern Guild annual Halloween ball. So it couldn't have been too closeted. <laughs> There's a great history uh, of ha- of Halloween celebrations at the river. Um, right, we're, we're, exactly. So those are the two primary queer places on, in the 1960s. Great, great. 50s and 60s. Nice. Um, we're just about out of time. It goes really fast. I'm short on time. I'll, I promise I'll have you back. Um, anything else in the works after February 3rd? Well, Tina's class um, on the history of Sonoma County starts um, this when starts started Wednesday the seventeenth. Um, you can join that. You sign up through the JC and the in the for in the learning senior learning program, and it's Wednesday from one thirty to three um, on Zoom. So that's the first one. Um, and then we are available, Tina and I are available to do workshops for, for people. We have three of them. We have Russian River, an hour plus history of the Russian River in great detail. We have the Sonoma County history from 1947 to 2000. And then we have San Francisco history of San Francisco before Pride. So you can contact me and um, I can give you information about that. Very good. How, how can folks contact you? Um, Shad Jody, S-H-A-D-J-O-D-Y at gmail.com. Very good. Shad, thanks so much, my dear. Um, great chatting with you. We'll have you back. Um, I'm sure you'll have lots more going on in 2024. Best wishes for the new year. Thank you. Same to you. And Carol Mitchell is a comp- composer and songwriter in Sonoma County who crafts music with the aim of awakening care and healing for the living earth. I love that. And is a queer woman who lives in Sebastopol. Welcome to Outbeat Collage, Anne. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. Uh, talk a bit about your background and your musical career. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to do that. So, um you know, I think that you kind of gave my my bio in a nutshell, but I'm a composer and songwriter. And uh, yeah, as a queer person, my music's been really informed by nature. Nature's really been a place where I've experienced a lot of personal healing. I think, uh, you know, in terms of like feeling outside the normative, um, nature's been a place where I found solace. And so I feel deeply informed by the natural world and uh, my music are stories about the natural world. Um, you know, a little bit nature sciencey sometimes. Oftentimes in a show, I might talk a little bit about gray whale migration or uh, the flight of Arctic terns. Um, 
And so that's kind of part of what I do is um, share stories about nature as like allegories for the human experience, for the queer experience. Nice, nice. Um, uh, what instruments do you play? I play acoustic guitar and I'm a, I'm a singer as well. Mm, nice, nice. Did, did you formally study music or are you self-taught? I'm kind of like a cobbled together a music education. I, I started self-taught hanging out uh, with friends around drum circles and picking up acoustic guitars. So I'm a lifelong learner. I still work with a, a songwriting coach um, and I'm just really informed by, by listening and by the artists I work with. Hmm. Uh, so, so talk about your creative uh, process when, when composing. Yeah, like I said, I think that it really starts with listening um, and being curious about the world. Um, so a lot of times it has to do with an experience that I will have in nature um, combined with something that I might be reading. For instance, this concert, I'll show you the night, was inspired by a book called, uh, called The End of Night by mm. Paul Bogard, who is a science writer. And in it, he talks about our diminishing skies as a call for preservation of natural darkness and an age of artificial light. So I was reading that book and uh, just really struck not only by how um, the loss of starlight affects the lives of humans and, and, you know, and what it means to always be looking at, at screens and things like that. Mm. Um, and of course the beauty of the stars that really informs our place but also how it affects the natural world too, you know, the migration of, of birds and how it affects fish migration and um, the ways that uh, the loss of darkness, so mm. to speak, you know, kind of affects our place, you know, on the planet. Of course, of course. Uh, so I guess that brings us to um, Bright Dark Dawn. Uh, talk, talk a bit about that. It's a, a project yeah, of sure. yours. Yeah, yes. a lot of uh, people in my music career have known me as Anne Carroll or Anne Carroll Mitchell uh, as a singer-songwriter. Um, but in the last um, few years, and especially with release, releasing this project and really kind of more fully embracing my work as a nature-based artist, as someone who's um, in a lot of ways... Um, trying to share kind of the deeper truths about nature, I felt like it was a, a more, uh, I want to say maybe impersonal approach, you know, and not necessarily like giving up my name, but kind of centering um, the art as opposed to the person, uh, which of course my art is baked with my personal experience, but uh, it's really about, it's really about nature too. And I wanted to have a, a universal quality. So I took the name Bright Dark Dawn. It's also my Instagram <laughs> name. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit of a, you know, artistic departure for me. Um, that's it in a nutshell. I <laughs> Great. I love it. I love it. It really flows bright, dark down. <laughs> Lovely. So um, we want to know all about I'll Show You the Night, um, this immersive concert that you are producing and performing in with other artists, um, which is happening Saturday, January 27th at Arlene Francis Center for 
Spirit, arts, and politics. I love it. Um, it's been ages since I've been there. It's in Santa Rosa. It's a great place. Um, I don't know how much has been happening there, but now we've got this this wonderful queer event happening. So tell us all about it. Yeah, for sure. So I'll show you the night is a music concert, and it's also a community building event. It's in collaboration with queer artists and allies from actually throughout the Bay Area. I'm Sonoma County based, so is another artist, but we have East Bay, San Francisco, and South Bay represented by the other three artists. And it's in partnership with the Robert Ferguson Observatory. We're gonna be exploring our belonging to and relationship with the night. And it also celebrates the release of some new music um, on all streaming platforms. So it's, a, it's an album release as well. There'll be music, poetry, and stargazing with telescopes uh, provided by the observatory. So um, it starts at 6.30, but come early, come at 6 p.m. Um, to get some telescope viewing in before the show. And if you don't make it early, there'll be it. you can still view at intermission or after the show, but it's a really unique and collaborative event. Um, really excited about working with these other four artists and um, we're really creating something very unique i would say nice uh, talk a bit about those other artists yeah for sure so it's in collaboration with maya mcneil who is a south bay based artist she is she they she is a uh, scottish gaelic um singer as well as a singer songwriter so they're going to be bringing some of the, their training and Gaelic music to the event. Um, Sindhu Natarajan is a South Indian classically trained singer, um, and she is from Livermore. She's going to be bringing uh, her training, her South Indian music, some traditional music, and there's audience participatory poetry with a couple of hosts. So we have a couple of hosts for the show who will be um, through written prompts, taking audience prompts about their memories about the night, things that they remember happening at night and creating live um, haiku from them. So the audience, we really wanted the audience perspectives to be reflected in the show. So um, it's, it's, it's quite the meshing of different lenses. I'm like, it, it sounds incredible. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about coming. I'm, I'm going to bring as many people as I can. Great. <laughs> um, so um, how can how can folks learn more about the show and purchase tickets? Yeah, so there are tickets online. And let me read that URL to you. The URL is night-show.eventbrite.com. So that's how you can get tickets for it. And uh, you can also get more information by going to my website, which is brightdarkdawn.com. Dawn. Oh, I'm mispronouncing it, aren't I? <laughs> oh, that's all right. Bright Dark Dawn. All right. Dot, dot com. That's your website. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. Um, how much are tickets again? Tickets are $20. Okay, wow. Affordable and, and about a two-hour yeah. show. Right. You get telescopes. You get 
lots of different music. Uh, if you're on Instagram, you can also follow Bright Dark Dawn, and uh, there'll be more information about the concert. Nice, nice. Uh, just quickly, uh, how did you how did you decide on the Arlene Francis Center, which is a great space? Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's a great space. They don't charge to use it. You pitch them an idea, um, and if they're interested in the idea, they're happy to present it. Very easy to work with. There's a there's a split um, between the artists and the venue, but uh, it's very accommodating to independent artists. Great, great. And they do they still have a little cafe? Do do they serve? It's not a cafe. They are. There will be drinks that night, okay. uh, but there will not be food. Okay. Dr- drinks, non-alcoholic. I'm assuming. Yes, they will have okay. some non-alcoholic drinks. Okay, very good. Uh, right, right there in Railroad Square. Um, it's a great venue. If you've never been there, um, you all should come out. Um, I have maybe 30 seconds left. Um, do you want to talk about um, wh- what's going on after I'll show you the night for you? Oh, for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm teaching a um, songwriting with the land workshop at Pepperwood Preserve. So if you're familiar with that incredible place uh, north of Santa Rosa, um it's a workshop. It's very affordable. It's an all-day workshop. at $65. You can go to Pepperwood's website. I uh, would love uh, for folks to participate in that. We're going to be doing uh, some hiking, some writing, um, and some kind of breaking down song form and uh, hopefully getting to the point where we're singing a little bit together. Wow. Yeah, that, that's a really cool place if you haven't been there. Um, wonderful. Uh you said $65 and yeah go. all day workshop yeah it's a really great deal beautiful place you get a hike out of it um meet other other folks who are interested in art and nature fun uh, and what's what's the date oh sorry it's February 3rd oh okay very so good it's the, fo- it's the following Saturday great 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 um and Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, best wishes for the new year and for this incredible event. And I'll see you there. Thank you so much, Gary. Of course. Thank you for joining us tonight. I want to thank all of our guests, PJ Raval, Shad Reinstein, and of course, Anne Carol Mitchell. Hope you can make her event next weekend. Greg Moralia will be here next week with Outbeat News and Depth. Mary and I will return Sunday, February 18th for another Outbeat Collage out in the arts. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.